0: Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. There's a traditional story that's long circulated in the church about St. Augustine, one of the great doctors of the church. And he's walking by the seashore on a warm and bright sunny day. At the time, he's actually writing a book called On the Trinity, a book that took some 30 years to write, by the way, and supposedly he never actually finished it. So there he is, St. Augustine, walking along the seashore, contemplating the mystery of the Trinity. And he sees a boy running back and forth between the water and the beach. And when he comes closer, he notices that the boy is using a seashell to carry water from the ocean, and is pouring it into a hole that he made in the sand. The story goes that St. Augustine goes up to the boy and asks him what he's doing. I'm going to pour the entire ocean into this hole, the boy replied. Impossible, says Augustine. The whole ocean won't fit into that hole that you've made. But then the little boy, without flinching, comes right back at him, and neither can you fit the Trinity into your small brain. Augustine turned away in amazement to contemplate the thought, and when he looked back, the boy had disappeared. Depending on which medieval version of the story you get, the child is either an angel or presented as the Christ child himself just a legend, something of a story, but it's intended to illustrate an important point, that just as you can't pour the whole ocean into the small hole of the seashore, so you can't just plop the whole mystery of the Holy Trinity into these limited minds of ours. And so the story stands as something of a lesson on spiritual pride, perhaps, to remind us that there are limits, at least on this side of glory, as to our reason and our intellect and how far they go when it comes to the deep mysteries of the faith, and the chief mystery of all being the blessed and holy Trinity. At the same time, the story about St. Augustine and the boy on the seashore doesn't mean, and it cannot mean, that because the Trinity is a mystery and that we have limited abilities to comprehend it all, that we just somehow throw our hands up the air and say, well then, why try it all? Why confess that long Athanasian creed at all? And why not just leave the heavy stuff for the pastors and the theology profs? But that'd be a mistake. Because we should love, love, this mystery of the Holy Trinity. And we should every day seek to know God better and better. In fact, on this Holy Trinity Sunday, I'd like to submit to you really a pretty wild claim that the whole meaning of life itself, whether you're ready to acknowledge it or not, is to learn and know the wonderful mystery of the triune God better and better. The whole meaning of life, I suggest to you, is to know God and to enter into the life and love of the Holy Trinity. So this morning, how can we reflect on this wonderful mystery of the Trinity? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one preached God's servant Moses. And yet this one true and only God is also the triune God, a holy family, and a blessed communion of loving persons. He is Father, and He is Son, and He is Holy Spirit. And even within the first three verses of the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, there already is the Trinity in action, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there already was the love of the Father creating all. And the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Light of light. Very God of very God. Even in those first three verses was the glorious plan for the true light, which gives light to everyone, to come into the world in the incarnation, whose name is Jesus Christ. In the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image. And who is after all, and who is us after all, but the Holy Trinity? Let us make man in our image. And whose image? But that of the triune God the most perfect family and fellowship of perfect and sacrificial love. This God is the God in whom we are to live and whose love we are to reflect in the world around us. Christians have long confessed the Holy Trinity as the central mystery of our most holy faith, meaning that we can't fully understand him, nor should we expect to. He is, after all, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who dwells in light unapproachable, as God's word says. In the prophet Isaiah, we read of him, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And in our first reading this morning, God's prophet Isaiah, he came into the presence of that triune God, and he saw the Lord Christ sitting upon his throne, flanked by seraphim angels, and the temple shook and was filled with smoke, and the angels sang, holy, 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 a hymn to the holy triune God, and the same song that you sang as you prepare for holy communion. But there was one big problem for Isaiah in the presence of that triune God. Woe is me, he cried, for I am a man of unclean lips. I am a sinner. Well, one of those angels flew over to Isaiah from the altar with the burning coal. He touched his mouth and spoke those sweet words of forgiveness and absolution. Saying, your guilt is taken away and all your sin atoned for and all that forgiveness, and all that comfort, and the life and salvation, all that came from the holy, precious blood and innocent suffering and death of Christ our Savior. You see, coming face to face with the mystery of God and knowing the Trinity, in short, is to know Jesus. A hole in the sand can't contain the whole ocean. And the human mind can't fully comprehend the mystery of the Trinity. But here's the wonderful news this morning. In Colossians, Paul writes that it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of God to dwell bodily in Christ our Lord. Meaning that if you want to know God, you look to Christ and his love. If you want to see God, you look to Jesus, whom the scriptures call the image of the invisible God. You see, Christ has made God known to us with all of his love and all of his grace and all of his incomprehensible goodness and mercy. And the really wild thing is, is that it's not just Christ who has and enjoys all these things for himself, but that he actually shares them all with us. Listen closely to the blessing that Paul writes to you in Ephesians chapter 3. He writes that you would all know the love of Christ that surpasses all understanding and that you would be filled, and don't miss this, that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. How about that? God even dwelling fully within you. You see, therefore, the doctrine of the Trinity should not make us think of dusty books and theological treatises, as great as those are, by the way. But instead, the doctrine of the Trinity should make us think about the virgin birth and the crucifixion Of this holy and innocent Son of God. Because here is what we've all got to know that up there on that cross, high and lifted up, hangs God Himself. And there He is giving His life for each and every one of you. And you should know that that flesh is God's flesh. And you should know that that blood, that's God's own blood. And you should know that that suffering, That's God's suffering, and that death, dear Christians, that's God's death for you, to save you and redeem you. For Christ the Lord has taken on your flesh. He's taken away all your sin. He has laid down his life for you, and he has taken it up again. And the Holy Trinity loves you with a love that is beyond all comprehension and understanding. And the Holy Trinity brings to you gifts in the divine service that are beyond your seeing and your sensing, but they are all still there. And blessings that come in the fullness of God. Bread declared to be His body. And wine declared to be His sacred blood. And you all ought to know that God sends His servants to press to your lips sacraments that sanctify you so that you too might hear whispered into your ears the very preaching of the seraphim angels whom amount, who announced to you as they announced to Isaiah that all of your sins are taken away, that all of your guilt is atoned for. And what that means is that now nothing, nothing separates you from the life and love and joy of the Holy Trinity, that holy family, and that most perfect and blessed communion of saints to which you all belong. Those closing lines of the Athanasian Creed, I know, are sobering. We confess, at his coming, all people will rise again with their bodies and give an account concerning their own deeds. And those who have done good will enter into eternal life, and those who have done evil into eternal fire. Scary, I know. But in Christ, there's nothing frightening about it. And in Christ, there's nothing to fear. Because to do good is to believe in Jesus. To do good is to trust in Jesus. To do good is to receive from Jesus Jesus, the treasures that he loves to give to you in his holy baptism, in his holy absolution, and his holy supper, which declare that you too are holy and acceptable to God, your heavenly Father. And that means for you that the fiery end-time judgment will be nothing more than a cool and gentle breeze passing over you. On the day of judgment, you will stand free from every evil deed, and you will stand clothed in all righteousness for Christ's sake, and all this by faith and not by works. Therefore, the Athanasian Creed closes with these words, Whoever does not believe this faithfully and firmly cannot be saved, So may God keep you in this holy faith always, trusting in the love of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. May the peace of God which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.